Welcome to What Are You Laughing At? The British Comedy Guide podcast coming to you today from Edinburgh, where, as luck would have it, a festival featuring huge amounts of comedy is taking place. My name is Dave Cohen. Joining us today are three stalwarts of the fringe. Karen Corran, Artistic Director of the hugely popular Gilded Balloon venue. Over the years, she's introduced us to some of the legendary fringe stars, including Tim Minchin, Phil Nickel, and the Doug Anthony All-Stars. Here she is now, 27 fringes later. Hello, Karen. Glad to have you here. And also with us, we've got another fringe legend, comedian, writer, and the performer of choice to entertain the troops, should they ever be sent on a tour of duty to the Arctic Circle. And also, coincidentally, the only person to find this flat... Uh, without any uh, use of a compass or map or mobile phone. It's Tim Fitzhigham. And a man who I quite literally met in the street five minutes ago. He is... <laughs> I have no idea who he is. Handing out a leaflet. And he's about to hand me a leaflet saying, would you like to come see my show? But before he had a chance to do that, I said, Phil Hammond. Hello, Dr. Phil Hammond. Would you like to come and be on my podcast? So here he is. Phil Hammond is here. And he is another fringe legend, of course. Uh, he's been coming up many, many times since uh, the early 90s with uh, his hit show, uh, Struck Off and Die. And as ever, uh, the calm, unruffled, stoical presence of BCG maestro Aaron Brown will be looming, correcting our grammar and reminding us all of our place. <laughs> Uh, they've just had the finals of the 2011 So You'll Think You're Funny uh, show. This was a show which you established, didn't you, Karen? 1988, yeah? That's correct. And uh, the winner was Welsh comic Tommy Rosen, uh, who apparently only began performing in October. So uh, that's uh, pretty good. There's been yeah, some... he was brilliant, actually. He was um, yeah. very composed. Very, he's got a great future. Um, out of all of the finalists, he had... The most interesting material. He's he's a bit of a poet, so he did a bit of poetry. Uh, just lovely material. The thing that was brilliant about last night was that we did have three women through, which is unusual. Last year we didn't have any women at all, mm. and two of them uh, came equal third this year. So that was great. Lucy Beaumont, who is a Hull comic, and she had only done five gigs before she did this gig, and she's. Lovely. She's um, very. She came on with a little handbag and was showing you things from her bag, and you know, very reminiscent of Caroline O'Hearn when she first started. I thought, mm. and then quite an aggressive girl called Fern Brady, but uh, a Scottish girl. Um, probably I say aggressive because of the Scottishness of her. You know, she's very punchy and shouts quite a lot. But she did. Her material was about, um, it started off about foxes, which was interesting, and she's got a really good future. Yeah, and there's, there's been quite a few... Oh, and I didn't mention the middle one, Dane Rathbone. He is a storyteller, and he uh, won the Raw final back in um, Australia, and as a prize, he gets to come into our competition, right. and he's brilliant. You've, you've had some amazing uh, winners over the years, haven't you, from that... Uh... I'm sorry, you think you're funny. Absolutely. Right? Dylan Moran, um, Tommy Tiernan, Phil... I was going to say Phil Kay, because he's one as well, but P- Peter Kay, I meant, who, one, went straight onto telly and he's never looked back, and he's never said hi to us either. <laughs> <laughs> he has quite... He has we, quite we literally... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's, he's forgotten. He's quite literally never looked back, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Did they all get on well together, the competitors? Or were they oh, friendly great. or competitive backstage? No, I think they're okay. I mean, who knows how it's been in the past? I, I think Peter Kay was very competitive, but uh, 
in the main, I think. They're all so new, they're all terrified, but more and more of them are doing it. I mean, we don't even have to advertise anymore. We got over 300 applications without, without putting anything. You know, I mean, we do showcases all around the UK, 24 showcases we did, and you, we're doing at least 16 people in each, you know, it's fantastic. Well, I was, I was going to talk to you later about the, the obviously the, the changes that have happened o over the years. But I mean, obviously, one of the things is certainly when when I was performing here in the eighties. I mean, it was not uh, it was it was not a career choice really being a stand up comic. There were you know there were sort of dozens rather than hundreds or thousands. Um, but the equivalent it's sort of the equivalent now of wanting to be a footballer, isn't it? It's, it's so sort of everywhere. Well, I, I actually I started the competition in order to find more stand-up comedians <laughs> because there wasn't enough of them, especially not in Scotland. Mm. And of course the Scots and you know are really, really funny. So and there wasn't any clubs either for them to to perform in. So this starting the competition was the way in you know in order to find more and more, you know. Yeah, well you certainly managed to do that. <laughs> well Lee um, Mack uh, was our celebrity judge oh, and, right. and he won the competition in nineteen ninety five. Okay. And he kept the t-shirt he got which says winner 1995 <laughs> on the back so we got a photograph it was quite funny yeah. sorry I, that's quite still right. fitting <laughs> I know well, not well, yeah. type. proliferation of competitions of course that's, an, that's another thing that's changed and uh, well, because there's the, also the, now the television one as well isn't there the, um, show me the funny show me yes. the funny yeah. which actually that, that, um, that finished uh, this week Patrick Monaghan he did oh, oh great oh, yeah. that's brilliant Patrick Monaghan uh, he and Dan Mitchell and Tiffany Stevenson uh, are about to embark on a, a 13 date tour which is to be recorded for DVD release later in the year uh, now the original prize was supposed to be for the winner to get a solo tour and a DVD alongside a £100,000 cheque very nice um, but presumably the fact that there are three of them are going out, does that mean maybe none of them are quite yet experienced to have their own full show of their own? Or well, you think Pat could. I mean, he's Patrick, been doing Patrick one of them yeah. has been going a long time. Yeah. He, he is our, one of our regular compares at Leighton Live, yeah. which is a tough gig. Yeah. You know, so he, but his problem, I mean, I didn't really watch the show. I watched a bit of the final, so I had to see his performance. But his problem is he talks to the audience. He's great for late in life because he talks to the audience and cuddles them, and you know he's very touchy feely, and you know he needs to get on with material. I think that's what they were pushing him to mm. yeah. in the competition. Anyone else see the TV show? I'm afraid I didn't. I was on stage, so I missed it. But I, I watched it at three o'clock this morning. Oh, did you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I should have done that. The uh, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, I've I've caught a couple of episodes, and it's just nice to see people like Pat, who's been around, you know, for a long, long time, really, and. And Tiffany as well to an extent, yeah. uh, you know, getting getting a bit of recognition and, and doing doing well. And I think it's really helped. Certainly, Tiffany, it's really brought her on in terms of, mm. you know, because they've had to write new material every week for a different set of audiences in a different location, and she's now got tons. The of problem material. with comedy is that that uh, um, things like Live at the Apollo and Mike and McIntyre are actually making comics bigger than they are because most of them have a good 20 minutes, but you, you won't get a really good hour out of them. I mean, it's very few comics that can do a good hour. Mm. You, you watch 20 minutes, half an hour, and then you're thinking, oh, God, dragging on. I mean, yeah. I just think of people like um, John, John Bishop. Bishop. Yeah. Two hours of, you know, really stretched out material, you know. Mm. But that's the, 
the thing about instant success, isn't it? I mean, the old, the old musical comedians would earn their crust and they'd go around the country. And, yeah. you know, when Bruce Forsyth would turn up on Have I Got News for You, which is all probably just to be a car crash, and he'd be brilliant because he'd learned his trade over the years before he got the TV exposure. The trouble Mark, is now is you minutes. get immediately on the television yeah. when you've only ever done a 20 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. You need to nurture, you need to do it. For and that's absolutely why mm. these guys have to go together. They can't. Yeah. Pat Monaghan couldn't do it. I mean, he does do an hour. And it, it's, but you know, if they want them to go into big theatres and everything, mm. they want a bit of variety. It's also, I think you're, you're, you do have people who are, I think, our specialists. And you've got people who can't mm. do 20, I can't really, well, I shouldn't say that. I can, I, yes, I can do 20 minutes. I've worked really, really hard at making a 20 minute set that actually works for me. Yeah. But I found that really tough. Whereas if you give me an hour, I'm absolutely happy as anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would say that, that, that the hour is my, sort of metier that's what I'm good at mm. but I can't it's get for me it's getting the shorter stuff that I find really hard because I like to work the audience into a story and I like to get mm. them going I like to get them part of the narrative I like to take them on the thing and then I like to slip in a few jokes yeah I mean that's in a sense that's part of the sort of the Edinburgh dilemma I think because I do always remember there there, there is the there's the, the sort of 12 months a year when you're working in the clubs and uh, particularly if you're working at places like the comedy store and genres for instance you you're honing your set very much to a sort of 20 minutes of, of, of absolutely bankable lines and and you and being steeled up to kind of deal with the audience. And in Edinburgh, the thing that I always enjoyed doing the hour-long shows was that you weren't just playing, you're not just playing to 20 to 24-year-olds and you're not just playing at midnight. You've got an hour and, and that sort of gives you room to breathe. That's a, It's a different... Completely different skill, isn't it? To, to being yeah. a stand-up. What, what I've noticed this year, the three nominate, Foster's nominated shows I've seen, they've also clearly been directed, over, and they're using the stage. It's the, the straight stand-up one man his microphone for an hour seems to be well, uh, still there, but but it's it's trendy now. It seems to have a director. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised that Andrew Maxwell got a nomination because he is a really really good comic, but he's been going twenty years, you know, and he he sells. Well, and you know, but he, yeah, but that, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Every year they rewrite the rules. Mm -hmm. Every year with that award, they rewrite the they, they essentially Nika picks who she wants. That's that's what the rules are. Yeah. Is that controversial? controversial? But that is essentially the truth. That, oh, that's the I, case. That's you can dress it up in yeah. whatever you want, but Nika basically makes it up yeah. every year. If she wants <laughs> Al Murray to win, she lets Al Murray win. If she wants Maxwell to be in, she lets Maxwell in. I think it's a good decision to let Maxwell in. Because, well, obviously he's one of my best mates, so I'm going to say that. But he's a great secondly, comic. No he's also a really good comic. And he's got a really good hour this year. It's the best hour he's done for years. They've tried so often to do stand-up comedy on television. And there was a thing called the King of Comedy. Yeah, which Maxwell did. Which, which yeah. Andrew Maxwell won. Yeah. And, you know, so what are the rules about, you know, TV exposure? No, I know, I know, I know. So mm. The year when Al Murray won, you know, I'm only picking out... I love, I love Al Murray, as we know. He's another really good mate, and I'm not getting at him at all. But I'm just saying... There used to be this thing where if you'd been nominated three times, that was the end of it. And then, of course, Al Murray was nominated a fourth time and then, you know, suddenly won the thing. And, and it's, it just seems to me that you can, you can make whatever rules you want. And it, every year it's just it changes. The rules were you, couldn't, you shouldn't have been able to sell over 300 seats. Yeah, that's right. And the first year I brought Tim Minchin over in 2005 yeah. because he had music involved in it. Yeah. 
he was selling three, these 300 seats, yeah. more or less, yeah. and he won the newcomer, Not he wasn't allowed to be in the I major prize. I know. The funniest show yeah. I've ever seen at Edinburgh was Corky and the Juice Pigs at the Golden Globe. Oh, oh, oh wish that made me that. cry with wish that. And how that oh. didn't get a nomination. It's the funniest musical comedy. I think they did yeah. one year, actually. They did, they did. Not the year I saw them, but the first year oh. I saw them. Was the that was Nick Phil Nickel, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. they came in the 19th century. And Greg. And Greg. And they definitely got it. Although Phil Nickel still says he's... He wrote uh, well, the Estimate, yes, and it wasn't. It was Sean Cullen. So I'm just putting that in there, everybody. You heard it first on the BCG podcast. No, I think. I mean, I think every year it creates controversy. The the award, and every year it it seems to, you know, people get everyone just gets so hung up on it. People who are having really good Edinburghs, you know, like mates this year, who really should have been a shoe in for it. I'm not going to mention any names, but. Yeah, well, your name has been one of those. Well, Glenn Moore well, well, should have been nominated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very good. I think Glenn's yeah. yeah. aiming at Glenn. Yeah. And, you know, Glenn's having a fantastic Edinburgh. But I bet there's a tiny part of him that's now going, oh, yeah, be passed Well, the problem again. is, I think, it, um, it's when you're here or when you're performing your show and you're just in the, in the goldfish bowl that is the Edinburgh Fringe, um, it's very difficult to, to stay rational about yeah. things like that because you are just... I, I think in the mentality of the performer, isn't it? You, you, you just you lose all perspective on everything apart from your show, and so reviews become very important things. They can make you euphoric or, or utterly miserable. And I, I, I think just just in that kind of uh, emotional sort of cauldron that is the festival for a performer, you, the, the, when you think your show might be in with a chance of a nomination and it doesn't get the nomination, it's it it, it can be. Just sort of terribly yeah. sort of blowing. Well, it's something you've worked hard on and you'll yeah. feel proud of, otherwise, you wouldn't turn up and do it. Well, hopefully, you wouldn't turn up and do it. Uh, <laughs> it's not, sure but it's also one of the reasons I never gave up the day job because after three weeks of it, yeah. that's <laughs> obsession. I'm longing to see people with sticky eyes or, yeah. crystals, or to get back to normality. Right. Because it does become You're quite a fellow, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> not only, I have to say that not only did I bump into Phil in the street and bring him up here, but he, he's also um, helped Tim. Yeah, he's know. been giving me a bit of an examination of my eye, which is very kind, very kind yeah. of you. When Tim goes suddenly blind, it's yeah. all turned <laughs> to be me. But at the moment, it's looking good. It's yeah. one of those things, isn't it? Because this year, a large... Because with my show this year, I've followed these eccentric wages from history. Right. So I tracked down what I consider to be the weirdest bets, the weirdest gambles I could possibly find in, in history. And I recreated them for three reasons. One, we don't often know the form. We don't know who won the original bet. Two, some of them we don't actually know if they really took place. We know people <laughs> said they were going to do them. But we do, I've tried really hard to do that journalistic thing of finding another source that says, oh yeah, this did happen. But sometimes it's just not, po- I couldn't find it. And so we don't know actually if some of these wages are possible within the laws of physics. And thirdly, just because I really wanted to do them. You know, I mean, it really was that simple. It's a really selfish thing. But in the course of pursuing this really simple idea of, of doing these wages, I think well, the hospital plays quite a big part in the show. Because I did end up there a lot. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and I realised why. Because I basically took on the achievements of... That's it. I was going to do ten, but I got so broken trying to do five that I couldn't carry on. And uh, and I, I was basically taking on the five achievements of five different men, all of whom had trained their entire life yeah. to pull off this one brilliant wager 
And I naively just went, oh, I'll crack at five of them. And you can't train for this. You can't, because some of them are sprints, some of them are endurance events, some of them are upper body strength, some of them are lower body strength, some of them involve ridiculous things like, you know, standing on one leg for unfeasibly long lengths of time. It's, you, it's almost impossible to find a training regime that allowed me to do it all. And so that's why I kept getting broken. So I broke a toe, I cracked a rib, I broke my finger, as you know, and got, I'd sprained a wrist. You just const- and then I got a living bone marrow-eating infection from the, uh, the pin inside my hand. So it's like all the way through the Edinburgh show, just by relentlessly proceeding. But that's what's, I think, been the real strength of the show. Because never once did I think about giving in on it. And there's something really funny about that. As a I man- was just about to ask... So what was funny about it all? <laughs> because, because there's a man... It's a punchline, but you should see my extra. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a man pursuing something that is ultimately ridiculous. a funny moustache on the It's the man you, or is it someone you, got you, a touch of Ranulph Fiennes on you, right? You'd carry on with three Well, well Ranulph Fiennes, yeah. he said, uh, what did he say? When I rode the channel in a bathtub, okay. Ranulph Fiennes said, it takes a very, very brave man to try and cross the English Channel in a bathtub. I gave What's Tim, the plug in? <laughs> I, gave, I gave Tim my socks to say good luck. Oh, and then he did. Well, actually, yeah. the other story that I've heard about Ranulph Fiennes and, and about his underwear, yeah. that he, very, he never changes it, that a gift I can't confirm that. Gift of Ranulph Fiennes socks. I can't confirm that, but he did give me his socks. Well, he said, well done, Tim. How did they keeping, smell? He said, well done for keeping the flag of British eccentricity well and truly flying. So I actually don't understand how you make a show out of that. You have it on film. I've got a bit of it on film, that's right. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> right. And people don't believe me. I say this well, stuff on stage, and everyone looks at me like I've come out of an full, institution. There's a full hour there, there's 12 minutes of fracture, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> and a show for the sequel for next year. That is ultimately broken comedy. Hey! <laughs> what I come want on. to know, uh, Dr. Phil, yes. is are, do you tour this show, or do you just. I, have, I do what Arthur Smith used to call a gentleman's tour, so because I still work as a doctor, and I still do investigative journalism for Private Eye and a lot of serious stuff, I can only really do one or two gigs a week. So I've been touring in a gentleman's way. It's sort of those middle-range Chile provincial theatres that everyone else is touring. When I was out, uh, there were 77 other comedians touring at the same time, all vying for the audiences. And I've sort of stayed in the medical niche, and it's what, you know, I keep thinking I ought to drop the doctor and start doing non-medical stuff, but it's what people want. You are a doctor. I still work as a GP, and I'm actually quite passionate about what's happening in the health service. It's nice to come to Scotland, because you have a nice cooperative health service. In England, they feed it to a market. market Oh, they've got great hospitals here. But at least you haven't given in to embarrassing bodies or being on breakfast TV telling them. I was asked to do street doctor. This is even worse than embarrassing bodies, but they asked people to lie down on the street and they would examine them in the street. What? My first question was, is it a comedy? They said, no. I said, in which case, no. If it was a comedy, I would have done it. If it was a parody, I think that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. They said, no, we're doing it seriously. Oh, don't be silly. You can't lie down the street. You might get on the street. So have, they, have they have got a, a format yet of putting twelve doctors into a, a hospital and curing people and like that? So show they me, show me the yeah, uh, cardiac. A, a whole, I was asked to do something by Endemol um, mm-hmm. called "Make Me Gay." So they lock twelve heterosexual men in a farmhouse, show them some red boy porn, and <gasps> bring in a couple of lady boys and see if they could give one of them an erection. I said, "Well, I would get an erection in that stage." I mean, most people would. It's really, it doesn't make you gay. I said, "What do you want me for?" They said, "Well, you've worked in sexual health." 
We want you to sort of front it and give informed points about the fluidity of human sexuality. Oh, that's oh, you know what they want. They want to you there, so that when people say oh, this is absolutely terrible, utterly yeah. controversial, we can't do this. Well, look, we've got Dr. Phil Hammond here. I was asked to look at to screen the hardcore porn sites from an anatomical point of view. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the commoners, it's really funny. The commoners reason my doctors are called surfing porn on NHS computers. <laughs> the commoners reason is I was accessing a gynecological um, yeah, views yeah, that yeah. aren't found in the standard text. Course, you don't find us in the standard gynecologist. I needed it, but without there is a lovely Dave, can I just say, you you are looking great. Thank you very much. Do you remember much. way back in the day when you did comedy? I was a fat bastard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> didn't say that. True. You, know, you were a bit larger than you are. saying that I don't do comedy now, Karen? Well, no. Well, I suppose this is more of the... I know it has become a medical thing. This is the British medical Yeah. NHS we'll be talking about Karen Corum's ailments in the next <laughs> episode of British Comedy Guy. Um, yes, it's true. I was well. I mean, partly the lifestyle of stand-up is you know you start work at sort of ten o'clock at night, and so um, certainly yeah. when I was uh, working in in Edinburgh, I mean, you definitely saw the worst side of me. I think. Um, yes, I, I, I don't really instance. think you enjoyed it. Uh, yes, the stress of it. Well, uh, yeah, we, we'll 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 come into the psychological analysis of my, <laughs> of my, now, of my painful de- yeah, yeah. painful demise of my stand up comedy career, which is actually uh, coming out as a book next year called My Life as a Footnote. Uh, oh, nice. Here. And, yeah. um, There's no bitterness in that title. That's what I, like about. <laughs> I think that's really nice. <laughs> no, though. No, that's not lovely. at all. Uh, no, all I, the well, best I talk about I talk about the seven stages of denial when you give up being a stand up. And uh, bitterness is the first, fourth, and seventh stage. So uh, there is always a little bit of what? What did you say? The seven? Like the grief bitterness. Yeah. More bitterness. Yeah, is it the first? Well, the first one is something like denial, and then denial, anger, bitterness, <laughs> pain, bitterness, uh, and, and then more I bitterness. I love where you're going. The first one is something like, you wrote the book, it's your theory. Well, if I, you I, don't <laughs> know what it is, we're in big trouble. Yeah. Just, just to come back to talking about the fringe, I mean, it is where comedy performers get a chance to just try bizarre things. Your shows sound to me like what comedians do at the fringe, don't they? Really? I yeah. mean, the actual thing of coming to the fringe is, is, is almost such a kind of ridiculous Phil, it's wager. truly that show, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, bits of it, but I tried and used to... The nice thing about Edinburgh is you can do stuff that's a bit darker than you would do outside. You I mean, my feeling is it's a springboard for going on to other things, so it is showing you know, new work. I mean, I, I don't like repeating shows. I, uh, for example, Tape Boy, Boy with Tape on His Face, he was a hit with us last year, and he wanted to come back, go into a bigger room and do the same show, and I went, but you've got a new show, because he, he did it in Adelaide, and he went, no, I'm not bringing that till next year, and I went, well, I'd rather wait till then, then. Because, mm. you know, I mean, what's the point? So I had to write a new show to come back to the Gilded Balloon, the, and that's what you That's said. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing... The thing that I think is... There are two things that I think are great about Edinburgh. One is you get 25 performances back-to-back, if you want them. If you don't want to have days off and all the other nonsense, you get 25 shows back-to-back. And that is unique, I think, in our industry. Because normally you can't get that. And you can't get an audience in for 20... Unless you're doing a West End or something, you know, and you're a big comic or whatever. But that's so good for the show, because every night you can just tweak a word order, or drop the thing, Mm -hmm. or put another joke in, or there'll be some funny ad-lib that comes out that you can then put in the thing, 
It's a bit like being Ken Dot, you know. He started with half an hour and just kept all the ad libs, and it's now six and a half hours. And it's a bit like that with the Edinburgh show, because over 25 performances, yeah. you just work and work and work and work, and that's really, really good for the show. But Second, also, you've got to be disciplined, because if you go over your hour, oh, you're, you're not going to affect all the elements. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Disciplined yeah. Too. The second thing about the festival, I think, which is, again, unique and brilliant, is that when you're on the road, like when you and I go to theatres, you're on your own. Or you'll take another mate with you. But you're essentially, after the show finishes, you go back to your hotel, you sit down and you go, oh, right, uh, I guess I go to bed now then. Whereas in Edinburgh, all your mates, all the comics that you know you and, that you like, and that you like hanging out with, all of your favourite people... Are all in the loft bar. Are all in, yes. are all in the loft bar. <laughs> or, you know, or wherever, at the Brooks or Avatar or whatever it is. But it's, um, it's really nice to have... Avatar, like, not a good name. Carry on. One thing I have noticed that, uh, that is different, more, that's happening more and more. I know, uh, Tim, you're a great example of this. You're doing, uh, you're actually doing three different shows a day. So you're yeah. actually doing whatever seventy-five or, or however many shows. But I mean, yeah. that's, uh, I mean, that that that's something that's relatively new development. It's physically exhausting being up here, I think, and doing your big. Well, actually, how do you manage to do three shows? Well, in fairness, I've always done multiple shows even the first year I was with you Karen and the Gilded Balloon I was doing the Gilded Balloon show which was the sketch show and then in the evenings I did an old Coward Estate show so that's what in the actual um, festival so that's what paid for me to come up here was being in the old Coward in the evening and the sketch show was just something that I put on in the afternoon so that was my first ever year uh, and I already had two shows and so I guess I just always thought well to be honest, you get to work once, you know, you get a really solid m- m- month of work. And you but there's a certain it. irony, isn't it? You're doing a, a show about bets and endurance. Yeah. There are very few people who can do three shows a day for 25 consecutive days or whatever ridiculous yeah. thing you're doing. Yeah. You've just got there's to... a wager in that as well. No, it's yes. not. <laughs> yeah. It's a gamble. Will you make it yeah, to the end of the festival? Two red eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's stress-related to crashes. Yeah. But it's but you have to have a passion. Without that passion for doing it, you know. But you've got to be wary of the workaholism as well it's like yeah. a hidden addiction you just but there, there is there yeah. is a difference between yourselves that are working all the time and the ones that come up who are so desperate to get stardom i think the best thing that's happened to the fringe um recently is the free fringe because the free fringe are, are giving the people because i mean i'm one of the what they call the big four and it's expensive for people to come up to Edinburgh. Mm. it's expensive for me to to put all the lights and the three yeah. fringe I mean mm. I'm not sure about the the two different people who are presenting the free fringe but the idea of the free fringe is great because mm. the people who really want to come up show their yeah. you know what they're doing and then they get that step up to maybe come to our venues or wherever you know well, in fact it's also worked the other way we were um, I mean uh, Imran uh, Yusuf who did the um, the Free Fringe last year, and he was uh, nominated. nominated he yeah. was nominated possibly. I, I did my, my first show for 17 years, I did at the uh, Free Fringe last year. And uh, it is a completely different experience. And yes. I think one of the things, again, we talk about the differences, um, is the cost now for a comedian to come up. And I mean, it is it, it is massively prohibitive now, isn't it? For it's a, a gamble. It's a big well, gamble. Well, yeah. there are the, the, the promoters who, over the years, have made an awful lot of money out of the performers that come up to the fringe. Mm. And they are very exploitative and you know some of them. 
some of them, not all of them. Not all of them, but but it is there is a, a way that you know the performer comes up, the pr promoter or agent or whoever it is charges them, and they end up owing them money at the end. Mm. You know, they charge them for every single thing from a leaflet yeah. to their house to you know, and they're you know. I had a friend who won the Perrier Award, and uh, I was talking to him about it, and uh, he said that was the worst Edinburgh I've ever done. I lost twenty grand. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's interesting, the only time we've ever made a lot of money, when Strapper and I first came up on our own, and we leafleted, we had our own homemade flyers, we leafleted on our own, and Miles Kington Blessing wrote a column about us in The Independent, Lovely. and it was only about a 90-seat venue, and we sold out every night without doing anything else, and we were new or whatever, and that's the only time I've made a, a reasonable amount of money. And it, the economics these days seems to be that, you know, if you're doing a 100-seater, even if you sell that out, if you're doing it through the proper route of being properly promoted, at best you will break even on a 100-seater. That's right. There's There's that only famous, really above that you can make it. There was the famous year when, uh, I don't think you'll mind me mentioning his name, but there was a famous year when Simon Munnery played a very large venue. <laughs> he sold every single seat except for two seats on the first preview uh -huh. of the show. And he lost something in five figures. Mm. And I was just thinking, hang on a minute, who is doing your budget? Mm. Who is sitting down and going, if we sell every seat, we'll only lose ten grand? Well, they're called Avalon. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> Could it be a Suddenly, slight coincidence the person I was referring to might have been? The point is that, that, that you know, you've got to work your budget out. If you work your budget out, and you go, these are the seats I need still to break even. And just be sensible about it. Don't be unrealistic. I think mm. the problem is that, that people get a bit silly and they get a bit unrealistic about how many tickets they can sell. Mm. If you're realistic about how many seats you think you can shift and you do your budget in that way, yeah. then, then you're fine. You know. Well, but that's true as long as you don't go with a very expensive promoter. Well, that's right. Absolutely right. Mm. You, you know, to, yeah. actually what it is, is if you have a brilliant show, if you get... Uh, the right uh, crits right at yeah. the beginning, and, yeah. you know, blah de blah, and it's about audience imagination. And we're actually lucky now that most of the fringe has moved up to this area um, in Bristol Square yeah. because it means that all the shows are quite close together. Yeah. So everyone's got a chance. And actually, this year it's better than any other year because there's no huge stars here. Like last year, they were using the. Hang on, hang on. We're here. <laughs> yes, well, all in this room. What are you saying? The John Bishops and the. And there has the been, I mean, Jack Whitehall and. Uh, well, they're not as huge stars no. as. And but they're still taking 3,000 maybe away of regular fringe goers. Yes, but see, when John we Bishop had matured, wasn't huge. When he first, you know, he was no, playing the right. Right. which I'm playing. That's right. right. Hmm. The other thing that I've noticed, which I quite like, is that science, comedians who talk about science, I mean, Tim Minchin has done some wonderful songs, he's a rationalist, but it's quite a big market at the moment. Well, his for, father's a doctor, yeah. so he knows a lot about it. For science comedy, and, and Robin Ince is doing these wonderful free fringe things, and all of them have been packed. Mm. And he, they basically got their thing at the end, and he put a donation, and he suggests that a fiver would be good. Well, it was Robin who persuaded me to do the free fringe, yeah. really. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think the, the fact that there are now people who, you know, well-known people who are doing shows on the free fringe Does that, that, that's kind of legitimised it so you, you don't feel threatened by it in any way then, can I you? think it's a good thing mm -hmm. I really do I mean I think it's sad that there's two promoters that do it that aren't getting on but other than that you know I would say I don't get on with Underbelly but of course I actually do you know I don't I, I mean I feel more threatened by Underbelly than anyone else because uh, they've sort of come along last and they're young and and uh, you know, the same kind of audiences as the Gilded Balloon. 
but actually they've sort of gone past me and I'm just there, you know. They've, yeah. You know, I can't really get any bigger now of, because the cow gate's not there and I'm, I actually gave them the caves, you know, I was very, you know, I gave them offices and, you know, I helped them a lot at the beginning, you know. But I still get on with them, they're fine, you know. Yeah. There's you, nothing I, wrong with a bit of, you know... I'm curious to, to ask you as well. I mean, I always, I always got a feeling, and I still get it uh, occasionally. It's like slight feeling of English guilt that we, we sort of come up to Edinburgh for so once should. a month and, and <laughs> colonise <laughs> colonise the city. So that you know, on the one hand, uh, uh, t- typical moment just now, I heard you know that Nicholson Square as the two uh, very drunk uh, people having a very aggressive row, and then a man with sort of green hair and, and the white painted <laughs> face with, went by and tried to offer them a leaflet and I just thought oh god this is a classic <laughs> moment this guy's going to get hit I mean obviously it's from the economy point of view it brings a, it brings I think Edinburgh back. should be very very proud of their festival I, I think they should be more you know they should appreciate the fringe more because they don't realise that the fringe is the biggest and it's the one that does help the economy most and they're, you know, they sort of think, well, we've got the International Festival, they give an awful lot, they support the International Festival a lot and, and the other festivals. And the Fringe is kind of, well, you know, we quite like it, you know. But mm. well, I think it's quite extraordinary, though, because I mean, Edinburgh should be just proud generally, because it is yeah. an extraordinary city. Mm. You've got to think, well, apart from Trans, the other day, let's is not it slightly smaller than Oxford or something? It's not even as big as Oxford. Or 445,000. Yeah, it's a tiny city. It's more, it's more than that. But surely. it punches well, it's more the private its weight. Mm. Well, well, I thought it was 750,000. Well, it's not, I mean, it's, 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 it's not, I mean, the, I don't know the exact size of it, but it is punching, you know, you're looking at, say, I don't know, Leeds or Birmingham or somewhere like that, you know, is bigger than Edinburgh. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, Edinburgh is just punching it's way above also, its weight in terms of culture and artistic oh, stuff. Uh, but surprisingly for me, for medics, I know you get the odd incident, but it's really interesting. When you go on tour and you'll, you go to these little provincial towns and you walk back through the middle of Derby at midnight or something, I'm quite scared. <laughs> all my times, all my years coming to Edinburgh, going to Leighton Live, walking back at four or five in the morning, never encountered anything unpleasant. I and mean, that's the other thing that you can... I know there is the other thing you'll see going up, but generally, for the size of people here, it's really kind of friendly. Yeah. Which, no, which you don't get in a lot of English well, towns, you don't get, you get a real city. sense of menace when loads of people congregate in a public space. Yeah, it's a great city. Mm. Mm. I mean, yeah, I, lo- I love living here. I'd rather live here than London or anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, how many shows do you think you must have seen over the... Oh, I can see. How many thousands? Yes, yeah, I would yeah. say. Yeah, and I've seen an awful lot of stand-up comedy mm. and um, awful lot of not very good stand-up comedy. Mm. We'd like to tell you about um, just you mentioning late and live there. Uh, BBC Scotland have commissioned. Um, uh, I'm doing a comedy documentary called Late and Live Guide to Comedy, and it's we're making it just now, mm. and it goes out in the autumn. Right, okay. TV or radio? Hmm? TV. Yeah, okay. Oh, TV. I, mean, I think, I mean, it's sort of fitting in the home of Adam Smith, the great sort of uh, free marketer. But I, I, I sort of think Edinburgh, going back to what we were talking about, about having uh, money and publicity and whatever, but do you think it's true now, as it was, as it always been true, that regardless of any of that, that if a show is good, if a show is really, really good, it will get an audience? Um... I think if it's really, really good and it's on at one of the bigger venues, it will get an audience. Mm. If it's really, really good in a church hall, it may not. Mm. Because 
the audiences. When you hear about all these shows, that there's only one, two. I mean, when I went to see Tim Minchin in, in Australia, for example, he wasn't getting very many audiences, and it was just a word-and-mouth thing. And I said to the director of the Melbourne Comedy Festival, I said, where's this guy been? Why is, no, why is he not, you know? And he was just at the early part of his career, but, you know, and it only took a bit of pushing to get people in, you know, and it is, I think the free fringe is good from that point of view, and you hear things, like your show, for example, somebody might have said, oh, and then in a year or two, you go to the bigger venues, and I mean, it is a step up. I'd like to think that's true, but now having been here this year, I've seen a couple of good shows at the, the Stand Comedy Club, which of course now is slightly isolated on the other side. I saw Paul Sinner, who again, an ex-GP, beautifully constructed political set for an hour. I mean, probably only about 40 or 50 of us in there, and it deserved a bigger audience. So I, stand, I agree with you now that you can have a really good show, but if it's a little bit away from the action... But the Stand, yeah. you see, have a different ethos on how they promote and everything. And I actually... Do not yeah. feel threatened by them at all. I think what they're doing, and the, and I think that's thunder, because that's what Edinburgh has, a lot yeah, of rain. Fittingly. Especially the this year. Yeah. Just thought about you flyering as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But I think that's brilliant, that Dr Phil Hammond is out flyering. Yeah. Amazing. But no, the stand do have it differently. They also work the whole thing differently, don't and, they? And the people the who object stuff. to the big four or... or uh, the big four wanting to have an Edinburgh comedy festival. I mean, I am part of that because I need to be part of it. But as far as I'm concerned, the stand should be part of it. Yeah, why isn't Ed- I don't get it. Yeah, don't because know. he wants to be on the outside. He wants to oh, be. Oh, he's a fighter. Yeah. Yeah, nice. He's a complete The outsider, fighter. a loner. And, and I can see him. Little and man he, against the world. Yeah, I you know, see him. He, yeah. he, he yeah. is... He's like a Marlon Brando figure. Well, yeah. he is a political type of guy. He yeah, was, he's a uh, man. He was yeah. uh, the treasurer of the yeah. of the Labour Party. Was he? The Labour Party. Wow. But yeah. it's one of the funniest shows I saw Tony Laws at the the stand is in the funniest thing. Brilliant. Brilliant, at isn't midday, he? to get people laughing like that at midday. He's in my kids' show, so I think Tony Law. Tony Law is a bit unbalanced though, isn't he? Oh, oh no. He's well, he's again, there are elements of that Canadian corky in the juice picks when I saw he's just Can I just tell you that this television show we interviewed Tony we interviewed about 44 comics, and Tony was one of them, and he had just done that Sky TV advert where he was on a Viking ship or something. Oh, right. And he came on in his beard, and he said, my name is Lord, blah, 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 whatever his name is. And he was that character. Yeah. He said, please talk to me as that. And I went, but we're talking about it like that. <laughs> and he wouldn't come out of character. <laughs> I just didn't brilliant. understand it. He walked he on stage. He, he, we did a gig, and this is the other thing it's I was nice saying man. about um, doing shorter sets, twenty-minute sets. Now, you know, they want you to do a seven-minute. You want to have a keen seven-minute set and a keen five-minute set, mm. and then even today, I got booked to go on the radio and do a two-minute set. No. Now, what the heck can you do for? T- how, no, you would know, just talk about going to the toilet. Yeah, you're you just show the show. Go, Hello, show good evening, yeah. and oh, it's over. Damn it! That's my broken finger. Look at my broken finger. Hang on, can I tell you about my eye? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it was literally like 
two minute set is extraordinarily <laughs> tight. You've got to be really tight with your words. Well, six laps a minute, you know, that's what the stand ups are going for. This podcast is going to be the time minutes. minutes. It's, it's going to be the time minutes, minutes, isn't it? It's all yeah. going down to two minutes. Yeah. 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 Hello, hello. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I need to say at this point, uh, thank yes. you very much. You've, uh, this has been uh, a very uh, illuminating conversation. We've discussed medicine, explore, exploration. Uh, we've gone all over the fringe, in fact, I think, and uh, structure has flown out of the window, so. Good luck editing tonight, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, all amazing. Somebody get the legal people on most of this. <laughs> yes, um, yes, and a few a few bits of uh, libel thrown in for good measure. As well. <laughs> Fantastic, brilliant. Only very mild and polite. Yeah, very mild, polite. So I'd like to say thank you very much to our, our three guests, the two uh, official guests, Karen Corran. Thank, thank you very you much. Jamie. Tim Fitzhyen. And uh, the wonderful Dr. Phil Hammond, who uh, came the in on the Wonderful. Thank you very much. Came in and cured Tim's bad eye. And Aaron as well, who's been uh, largely silent. So grammatically, yeah. we must have been. Have you not got something to Hurrah. see? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, not this week. Right. Not this week. Not this week. <laughs> I'm Dave Cohen. Thanks for